Genesis chapter number 20. Genesis chapter number 20. Uh, I look forward to being able to get back to our series tonight. Uh, We've got, unless the Lord changes directions or changes my direction, we've got four more parts in this series. Tonight we come to part number 10. For nine weeks we've studied the life of Abraham. It doesn't seem very long to me. Of course, it may be starting to feel long to you. I don't know. Amen. But tonight we come to part number 10 and we enter upon the last major lapse in faith in the life of Abraham that's recorded in the Scriptures. Abraham was an imperfect man. And I'm sure that Abraham failed the Lord many, many times, just as you and I fail the Lord many, many times. But in this passage, we have recorded the last major lapse in faith in the Word of God. Beginning in verse number 1, the holy inspired Scriptures tell us, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister? And she even herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. If you like to, you can underscore that. That's the first use of the word prophet in the word of God. And he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, Know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done." And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. They will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants, and gave them unto Abraham, and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. Now notice the sarcasm in his voice. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes, and unto all that are with thee, and with all other. 
Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the womb, had, uh, for the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand in your pulpit, Lord. I need your help this evening. I pray that you would affect the hearts of your people in a way that bring you glory. Lord, you know what each heart's need is, and so we ask you to meet it. Father, bless your word in a way that would give us opportunity to praise you and to glorify you, and we'll be sure to thank you for it. There's one amongst us that's lost. Show them their lost state. One that's backslidden. Show them their need of drawing closer to you. And in all things, Lord, we praise your name. We ask these things in the perfect and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. In part 10, we have a lot of interesting things shown to us in this passage. I was telling my wife one of the most difficult things in sermon preparation is trying to decide what to leave out. Because as you study this passage, we want to maintain a focus on Abraham's faith in light of what's taking place. We find that we're on familiar ground here. Uh, there's a lot that could be said, a lot that could be noted. It's interesting that Abraham journeyed toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shore in a place called Gerar. No doubt this would have been the same road that Abraham took some 20 or 25 years earlier when he sojourned down into Egypt. Uh, but Abraham is not going to Egypt this time, but going to this place Gerar. Now, if you're not familiar with the place Gerar in the Word of God, you'll study it and find that it's a Philistine city. Later on, it would be one of the chief Philistine cities, in fact. I thought to myself, you know, the first time Abraham left the promised land, he sojourned down into a land of sin. Egypt always pictures sin in the Word of God when it's used in a typical way. And people always go down to go to Egypt. doesn't matter where they are, they always go down. And Egypt is a picture of sin. And certainly Abraham was leaving the fellowship of God and going into a place of pure wickedness. And do you know that we as believers are guilty of that at times? No man sins by accident. No man stumbles out of the will of God. But we make a deliberate decision to leave the fellowship we have with God and to step down into iniquity. But that's not what Abraham does this time. Abraham goes to a Philistine city. Now, you'll find that the Philistines picture in a typical way the world in the Word of God. They're the ever-present uh, opposition of God's people. And they always picture worldliness to us. And so Abraham's not journeying down into an open public iniquity, but rather journeying to a place of worldliness. It's interesting that his journey has changed a little bit over 20, 25 years. And you know what? I've found this. As people get older... Sometimes they're not as liable to stumble into drunkenness and fornication and adultery. And sometimes they're not as liable to step into just open wickedness. But you know what happens? Many times we become worldly. Many times we let the influence of the world creep into our lives. And it's not that we're uh, stepping out on our spouse. It's not that we're staying out drunk. It's not that we're going and living in open iniquity. It's not that we're going out into the world, but we're letting bits and pieces of the world into our house. He stepped into a place of worldliness. I thank the Lord that as I read this passage, we find the first mention of the word prophet in the Word of God. Uh, it's interesting to me that the first mention of the word prophet is concerning Abraham, a man that was a friend of God in a covenant relationship with him. But it interests me greatly that the first time the word prophet's used, Abraham's not really acting much like a prophet. 
In fact, you'll find this is the only time in the book of Genesis that the word prophet is used. But there's nothing identifiable about Abraham that would cause Abimelech, this wicked pagan king, to ever think that Abraham would be a prophet. Can I tell you, a prophet is a man that has the mind of God. And let me say that you and I, we're not prophets. I'm not trying to say that we occupy the office of a prophet. We're uh, believers. Uh, we're personal priests with ourselves and our relationship with God. Uh, we might be preachers. We might be Sunday school teachers. But we're not a prophet. But a prophet did have the mind of God. And you know what Paul said? Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. And do you know why it is we have the mind of Christ? It's not because we're so good. It's because He's so good. It's not because we're so righteous. It's because He's robed in the righteousness or we're robed in the righteousness of Christ. It's not because of what we do. It's because of what He's done. And I'm just thankful that even when I'm not acting like a Christian, God still knows my name. There's a lot that's interesting in this passage that we could dwell on. But there's three main points I want to give you, and I'll give them to you very quickly. Anyone that's reading this passage will be struck first that we see a familiar sin. As I've already said some 20 or 25 years earlier, Abraham had committed a sin that was very similar in leaving in a time of famine and going down into the land of Egypt. Now, you might say, preacher, why is it that some 20 or 25 years later uh, this circumstance is revealed and Abraham falls and fails? We could speculate a lot about it, I suppose. It could be he was so heartbroken uh, over Lot. We have no reason to believe that Lot, that Abraham knew Lot was alive. We have no reason to believe that Abraham was aware of the providential hand of God in preserving Lot. It could have been that Abraham was so heartbroken. It could have been that Abraham could not stand to live in the same vicinity as those cities that had been destroyed by that fire and brimstone. It could have been the sulfuric smell was just too much for him and he left. It could be that with Lot not being a part of his life, he did not feel as strong a tie to the plains of Mamre. I do not know why Abraham left. But I would just suppose that if nothing else, it was this. The circumstance hadn't arisen for Abraham to leave yet. Let me tell you something. You don't know what you're capable of until you're faced with the temptation. In all those years, Abraham hadn't been tempted to leave. But now something catches his eye. Something catches his attention. And we see a testing revealed. You know, sometimes we get pretty high and mighty, you know, and we look down our nose at people. You better be careful doing that because they can see up your nose, boogers and all. Amen. Let me tell you something. We think that we'd never do it. But by the grace of God, we've not made a shipwreck of our faith and wrecked our lives. And it's easy to look at someone else and say, no, that never happened to me. Well, you haven't been in their position. It's just but by the grace of God that we don't go in that other person's shoes. Abraham is faced with this testing, and this testing is revealed, but we see a trouble returning. Abraham falls and he fails, and he commits the same sin that he had many years ago. And, you know, I got to thinking about that. It's interesting that Abraham had trouble with the same sin over and over again. If you're saved and if you're anything like me, it seems as though there's certain things that we struggle with. Very few Christians are tempted by any and everything. I mean, if you were to come to me and try to put alcohol to my lips, that wouldn't tempt me. I'm just being honest with you. That's not something that would tempt me. If you were to come to me and try to convince me to take another man's life out of rage and pre-med, that, that really wouldn't tempt me. But I promise you, this pastor's flesh and bones. There's things I struggle with just like there's things you struggle with. And it's interesting that Abraham commits this same sin over again. It might be what we would call a besetting sin. 
something that seems to arise over and over and over in his life. And why was it that he succumbed to this sin? I think we have a little hint given to us. We've already read it in the passage, but I want you to notice it again. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, when he left Ur of the Chaldees, in other words, he says that I said unto her, speaking about Sarah, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, He is my brother. I'll tell you why it was that Abraham struggled with this same sin. It was the only thing in his life that was left from Ur of the Chaldees. It was something he had never dealt with. It was something he had never nailed to the cross. It was something he had never really given to God. He had made this arrangement with Sarah. He knew that he was going to be leaving his father's country, and Sarah evidently was a pretty good-looking woman. I don't know. The Bible isn't a picture book, amen. It doesn't give us any pictures, but we suppose that she is. Certainly this wicked king had every single 18, 19, 20-year-old girl at his beck and call in Gerard, but he takes a 90-year-old woman into his harem. That's got to tell you something. She was probably a good-looking woman. And whenever Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees, he works out a deal. You see, let me tell you something. Do you know half-truth is just as wicked as a whole lie? And Abraham looks at Sarah and says, Sarah, you're going to do me this kindness. Everywhere we go, you're going to tell people that you're my sister. And really, Sarah, you are my sister. You're my half-sister. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. What's the difference between truth and honesty? There is a difference between truth and honesty. Uh, Truth is telling what you have to. Uh, Honesty is telling what you need to. Truth is telling just what you have to to get by. Honesty is being open before others. You see, Abraham was being truthful, but he wasn't being honest. He had this sin that he had took with... Let me ask you something. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to think about it in your own heart of hearts. Is there something you struggle with on an ongoing basis? Is there something that you just can't seem to gain victory over in your life? Can I suggest to you that it could be you've never nailed it to His cross? You say, what do you mean, preacher, by nailing it to His cross? Nailing it to His cross means recognizing it for what it is and that it's something Christ died for. Let me give you an example. When I pray and when I sin, I know it don't happen very often, church, but every now and then, you know, I might sin. And, uh, yes, uh, that got you to laugh, didn't it? (laughs) When I sin, I I try to do something. I'm not trying to open my prayer closet to you, and I'm not trying to puff myself up, but I hope that that I can give you an example of what I believe nailing it to the cross means. When I'm confessing something to the Lord, I don't polish it up. I force myself to admit it in the ugliest terms of what it is. If I've lied, I don't tell the Lord that I was forced into a situation to twist the truth. I tell him, Lord, I'm a liar and I shouldn't have done that. If I take something that's not mine, I don't tell the Lord I borrowed it. I tell him I stole it and it's a sin. And you died for that sin and Lord, I need your forgiveness. You see, what was Abraham doing? He started making excuses for his sin. He said, well, you know, really, Abimelech, there's a half-truth to this thing. I mean, really, Abimelech, if we want to get technical, you can throw all that technicality out the window if you want to get right with God. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Get on your knees and confess it to an almighty God and let Him forgive you of it instead of trying to make excuses for your iniquity. We find that Abraham said, well, you know, really, she's my half-sister. That doesn't cut it with God. 
You just go ahead and nail it to the cross. Call it what it is. God will forgive you anyway. He knows what you've done. He knows what's in your heart. Don't make excuses about it. Just confess it. Get it out of the way. I believe if Abraham had done that many years before. You know the problem was? I think when Abraham came out of Egypt, he got it right before God, but he didn't get it right before Sarah. You say, preacher, why do you believe that? Because this agreement, this agreement was so easily entered into when the opportunity arose itself. You say, preacher, why is it that we go to an altar? It provides us with accountability. It provides us with account. It draws a line in the sand. You know what would have helped? If Abraham, when he had came out of Egypt and when he had done wrong, when he had sinned, if after he got on his, if after he had got onto his, let me tell you something, you won't get right with others until you're right with God first. But if after he had got on his knees and confessed it to the Lord, if he had gone to that sweet little wife of his and said, Sarah, I've led you wrong. I've done wrong. I've sinned and I've brought you into sin. And there was no excuse to it. I was cowardly. I was iniquitous. There was no reason for me to lead our family that way. You know, I kindly think whenever the time came that he said, Sarah, we're headed into Gerar. Would you help me and tell our little lie? Sarah might have been willing to say, now, honey, don't you remember we got that sin out of our lives. He never really dealt with sin in his life. And I promise you, if you don't deal with sin, sin will deal with you. We see a trouble returning. But sadly, we see a testimony ruined. Abraham had an opportunity to be a witness to Abimelech. I don't know how much of God Abimelech knew and was aware of. I believe that Abimelech was not a believer in the sense of the word. I do not believe he had had righteousness imputed unto him and had a relationship with God. I do not believe that about Abimelech. But God did agree and use the terminology that it was in the integrity of Abimelech's heart that he had done this. He, he was not aware that Sarah was really Abraham's wife. And Abimelech certainly shows some understanding that he is dealing with God. And you know what would have been nice? Let me tell you what would be nice in our lives. You ever wronged anybody? My hand's up because I have, not, not just because I'm an example. Have you ever wronged anybody in your life? Slip your hand up if you have. Sure. You know what would be nice when you've done that and you go to them and ask their forgiveness? <laughs> Tell them why it is God can forgive you. Use it as an opportunity to draw someone closer to Christ. Abraham had that opportunity. He could have gone to Abimelech if he had never committed this iniquity. He could have gone to Abimelech and said, Abimelech, I'm Abraham. I'm a prophet of the Most High God. I've given tithes to Melchizedek. I've seen God deliver armies. And I'm here to tell you who the real God is. Instead, he came in with lies on his tongues and iniquity in his heart. And what happened? Abimelech is awakened in a dream uh, in the middle of the night. God speaks to him in a dream and gives him the truth of the matter. What's the first thing Abimelech does when he wakes up? He calls all of his servants to him and he tells them what's happened. Let me tell you what, something that's so wicked and ungodly about our sin. One of the most damaging things. It's not just that it hurts our relationship with God, but it hurts our influence with others. Let me tell you something. The lost person, are you hearing me now? The lost person is just looking for an excuse to reject Calvary. Most of them reject Calvary without even needing an excuse. But they're just looking for something. Something. Some reason to not live and accept Christ. Some reason to not fall on their knees and call on His name. They're just looking for a reason. Are you going to be that reason? Abimelech or Abraham was that reason for Abimelech and for all of his household. You can hear it in Abimelech's tone. Abimelech never got over it. 
You can hear it. You can hear it by the end of the story. You know what he says? He says, I've given your brother, your brother, these pieces of silver and these ox and these sheep. What was Abimelech doing? Can't you hear the snarl in his voice? Can't you see the disdain? He didn't say, I've given your husband. He said, I've given your brother. What's he saying? He's saying, I've given this to make this right, but I still know that you've done wrong. Let me tell you something. It's not as easy when you've ruined your testimony in front of a lost person. A brother offended is harder to be one than a walled city. I know that lost folks are not our brethren, not our sisters. But I promise you, you set up that wall between you and a lost person. You ever wonder why it's so hard to win your family to Christ? They know you. They know you. And when you say, hey, listen, brother. Hey, listen, sister. Hey, listen, nephew. Hey, listen, aunt. Hey, listen, uncle. You need to call on the name. You know what they're thinking? They're thinking that wasn't the tune you were singing last year. That's what they're thinking. You say, preacher, you're trying to scare me away from witnessing to my loved ones. No, I'm saying if you're going to witness to them, you ought to have enough courage to go to them and say, aunt, uncle, brother, whatever. I'm sorry for the way that I acted. It was wrong and unbecoming of a Christian. And please don't judge my Christ by my Christianity. Please don't form your understanding of the Savior by my sinfulness. You see, it affects things when we sin. I believe his testimony was ruined. So we see this familiar sin, this sin that he had struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled with. But, you know, I'm thankful even when we fail. I don't know, maybe you don't fail, but I fail. I fail. I mean, as a pastor, I fail. As a preacher, I fail. As a person, I fail. And I'm thankful that when I fail, there's a faithful sovereign to fix the matter. We see that even though Abraham had forsaken God, God did not forsake Abraham. We see three things. I want you to notice that first off, God protected him. You see, when Abraham had come into this place, he said, there's no fear of God in this place. First off, you notice that to some degree, Abraham was wrong about that. But number two, even if there was no fear of God amongst the pagan kings, God is still God. Listen, his rule and his supremacy is universal. If he could if he could readjust what that wicked king was doing just by sending a dream to him, don't you think he could have protected Abraham? And he did. Abraham, when he left, the palace of Abimelech was unscathed. God made sure that no wicked had come to him. You say, preacher, are you telling me I'm never going to have a problem? No, that's not what I'm telling you. Preacher, are you telling me I'm never going to get sick? No, that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is this, is you can bank on it, neighbor, that the things that come into our life that hurt us, that mar us, have first come through the loving and providential hand of an almighty God. You may forsake Him, but He will not forsake you. He protects us. Even when we sin, He protects us. Even when we fail, He protects us. Notice He not only protected Him, He preserved Him. Or we might put it this way, he prohibited Abimelech. You say, what do you mean? God made this statement to Abimelech. He said, I've kept thee from sinning. Uh, I don't know what the plan was. I'll give you what I believe about it. You'll find in the Word of God that at every key historical point in the plan of God's redemption for mankind, and you say, preacher, what do you mean? I, I mean in the story of Cain and Abel, you'll find the hand of Satan there trying to destroy God's plan. There in Egypt, you'll find the hand of Satan there trying to destroy Moses so he couldn't deliver him out of Egypt. You'll find all along the way, you go down to the uh, life of Christ, you find Satan was there trying to swallow up all those baby boys. You'll find Satan was there in the midst 
of the, of the desert trying to tempt our Lord. You'll find Satan was there in the garden trying to destroy Christ. Everywhere you go in the Word of God, you'll find Satan's there trying to mess up God's plans. I'll tell you what I believe. About a year from this time, a young man by the name of Isaac was going to be born. He said, why would a pagan king take a 90-year-old woman into his harem? I believe Satan was trying to destroy the lineage of Abraham and the promised seed of Isaac. And if he couldn't destroy it, I believe he was trying to cast so much doubt on it by saying, uh, causing people to think Abimelech was the father of Isaac and not Abraham, that it would goof up God's plans. But what do we find? We find that God was in the midst taking care of his business. God preserved Sarah, prohibited Abimelech, and kept that king from destroying God's plan. Let me tell you something. I'm thankful that God is able to stop me when I'm sinning. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Are you telling me you don't have free will? No, I have free will. You say, preacher, are you telling me that you can't disobey God? No, I promise you, I can disobey God. I've done it one too many times to believe I can't disobey God. But I'm merely saying this, that God has the ability to tug on the brakes when He needs to. God, listen... I couldn't imagine the mess my life would be if God hadn't worked in it. And I don't just mean saving me on Calvary either. I mean, I can't imagine the mess that my life would be in if God hadn't watched over me. I think back to my life as a teenager. I think about some of the friends that I had. I think about some of the people that I ran with. And I wasn't a bad kid. I mean, I really wasn't. But I look at some of them now. They're messed up in drugs. Families busted all to pieces. And I'm talking about people that are saved. And I think to myself, why is that them? Why is that not me? I think about my my beautiful, wonderful wife. And I think about, boy, I thank God that I wound up with her. I didn't wind up with her. God put us together. And I, I, I look at other young men that have married, and their life is a wreck as a result of it because they married the wrong woman. And they had every intention of doing the will of God. And I just say to myself, glory to God that He's kept me from messing my life up. You know that God loves you enough to upset you. (laughs) You know, a lot of times parents don't love kids enough to upset them. They'll give them any and everything they want to keep them from being upset. God's more of a loving parent than that. God will put us in a whale's belly if that's what it takes. God will interrupt our plans if that's what it takes. I'm thankful that He can preserve me. It's not about me persevering. It's about Him preserving. It's not about me hanging on. It's about Him hanging on to me. It's not about me working it through. It's because He's worked it out. I'm thankful that it's all about what Christ has done and not what I do. We see that God preserved Him, but we see that God prospered Him even. Now, this is going to fly in the face of what some of us have been told. But do you know that even through your sin, sometimes God is so gracious that He works all things together for good. When Abraham left Egypt, he was a rich man. When Abraham left the presence of Abimelech, he was a richer man. Even in the midst of his sin, God turned it for good and prospered him. You say, preacher, this gives me an excuse to sin. No, this gives you an excuse to praise the Lord. I promise you, if you really fear God, and the preacher talked about it the other day, Lo, Lord, if thou shouldest mark iniquities, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness found with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Let me ask you something. The crowd that believes you can lose your salvation, do they are they more holy than the crowd that believes in eternal security? Let's just be honest. 
You say, preacher, you're picking a fight. No, I'm cutting it straight and telling you how it is. The crowd that believes that you can fall from grace by and large, you know them, I know them. Most of the time their life is so corrupt and eat up with pride and wickedness and lust. There's so much scandal and controversy. You go down the line of all the health and wealth preachers. You go down the line of all the charismatic crowd and you'll find that there is an underlying scheme of iniquity. You say, preacher, if I believe God's going to be good to me whether I'm good to Him or not, then I'm not going to serve Him like I should. No. No, if you believe He's going to be good to you whether you will or not, you'll find that through the power of the Holy Spirit you will serve Him. You will be good to Him. You will love Him. You will walk with Him. There's forgiveness found with thee that thou mayest be feared. We see that God prospered Him. We see finally. Some of you said hallelujah when I said finally. (laughs) We see a fixed situation. I just got to say, I'm thankful the Lord fixes my messes. I, I, that ain't fancy. I know it's not. I, I, I know that that's not, that nobody said, wow, I understand that. But I've just got to be honest. I'm just so thankful that God, even when I make a mess of things, is able to fix that situation. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, look at the fact that the Lord restored his testimony. You see, when God spoke to Abimelech, he said, he's a prophet. And you need that man to pray for you. Whenever it was all said and done, you see, God protected the lineage of Abraham and of Isaac by how? By shutting up the wombs of the house of Abimelech. And notice it was not just the wombs. The Bible says that God healed Abimelech. God had literally made Abimelech sterile so that there could be no question as to who Isaac's daddy was. Abraham prayed and God healed that household. I don't know what Abimelech thought of Abraham before that. But I promise you, when he found out that that old man of God had prayed for him, that God had answered and intervened in his life, I promise you that Abraham's testimony was restored. Boy, let me tell you something. It's There's been times in my life when I have absolutely shipwrecked my testimony to a person. And I'm so thankful that God's given me opportunities at times to build it back and to show them that I sin because I'm flesh. But I love God and He loves me and I'm His Son. And you need to know Him because of who He is, not because of who I am. And I'm thankful that even when we've messed up and even when in other people's eyes we've wrecked our testimony, if we'll take the opportunity... You see, Abraham had to do his part. He said, that's works. Yeah, we're foreordained to good works, aren't we? Abraham did his part. He prayed for Abimelech. He prayed for him. Because of that, his household was healed and restored. We find that Abraham, and you know, Abraham did not leave Gerar, but he left the presence. By the way, let me just give you this. Do you know that Gerar was in Canaan? It's not that Abraham was out of the will of God because he went to Gerar. It's that Abraham was out of the will of God because he went somewhere without the mind of God. Do you know that this preacher, I believe Walridge is God's will for my life. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. But do you know that this preacher can get out of the will of God even while pastoring Walridge? It may be the will of God for your life. I hope it is. You may know, 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 know that Walridge is the will of God for your life. But just because you're in church at the right place, that don't mean you can't get out of the will of God. You may be married to the right person. You may be going to the right church. You may be reading the right Bible. You may be praying. You may have every single duck in a row. That doesn't mean you can't get out of the will of God, even in the midst. Listen, being in the circumstantial will of God does not make you in the middle of the effectual will of God. 
There's people because they have bitterness in their heart, because they have malice or lust in their heart that may on the outside be right where God wants them, but on the inside they're as far as if they were a million miles away. Abraham was in the right place, but his heart wasn't. Abraham stayed in Gerar. But we find that God gave him an opportunity to leave that place. And it was in Gerar that, so far as I can tell, that Isaac was born. It was in Gerar that the bondwoman was cast out. You see, God had a plan. And sometimes God's plan... Now listen, don't call me a heretic for this, but you look back at your life and you'll find that it's true too. God doesn't excuse our sin. And I'm just going to give you a little glimpse of what God's foreknowledge means in our lives. Just because God knows doesn't mean we're not accountable. You say, preacher, what do you mean? God knew that Judas was going to reject Christ. But Judas still went unto his own place. You know why? Judas didn't know. Judas made his decision. Abraham was accountable to God for the decision he made going to Gerar. He had sinned. He had done wickedly. He had done this and he was accountable. But God, through his foreknowledge, knew that that's what it would take for Abraham to follow the plan of God for his life. Even through the midst of the raging storm, God's hand is upon us. Even through the midst of the trials, and even through the midst of our falling and failing, God's hand is still on us. You see, God knew what you were when He saved you. You're not pulling any surprises on God. He knows the end from the beginning, and He knows the end as if it's the beginning. He's outside of time. He inhabiteth eternity. Nothing takes God by surprise. You say, one of these days, God's going to get so tired of me that He's just going to cast me aside. No, praise His holy name. He knew what you were when He saved you. He knew what you were when He bought you. He didn't keep the receipt. He knew what you were. He knew what you were. And so we see that God had a plan even in the midst of Abraham's iniquity. God brought Abraham to it, so he brought him through it. And he brought him to a place where he could work in his life. We find that Abraham's relationship with Sarah is healed. There's been so many times that I've done something to hurt my wife, to disappoint her. There's been times that I've been rude and I've been unkind. There's been times, now you listen to me, and you fellas listen to me. There's been times that this preacher has done things to hurt his marriage with his wife. Now, I'm not talking about stepping out on her. I'm not talking about any kind of sin in that. But I'm just talking about unkindness. And listen to me. You throw words out there, men. They don't come back so easily. And you can say things that you get over in a hurry. You know why you get over it? Because you said it. But she don't get over it. And it sticks with her and it hurts her. And she's not pouting and she's not pitching a fit. She's just genuinely hurt. Abraham had hurt Sarah. He had dishonored her. He had disgraced her. He hadn't been the husband that he should have been for. But I'm thankful that God is able to heal that relationship. I'm thankful that God is able to come into the situation and give forgiveness where forgiveness can't be found and to restore that love and to restore that relationship. Even though Abraham had done something to kill it, still God was able to raise it from the dead. Let me tell you something. This goes for all spouses. Be careful what you say. You scatter your words to the wind and they're gone. You can't fix it. It's not that easy. But there's a God in heaven that can. I'm glad that God is able to fix these situations in our life. I don't know about you. You may have never messed up, but this preacher has. This preacher has failed in his life and he's done things wrong. Things that had no excuse to be attributed to them. But I'm thankful that when I'm unfaithful to God, He's faithful to me. 
Say, preacher, what's the story of Genesis chapter number 20? Is it the goodness of Abraham? No, it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. It's that even when Abraham messed up, God didn't mess up. Even when Abraham dropped the ball, God didn't drop him. You may be here tonight. You may have done something to disappoint the Lord. Can I tell you that forgiveness, forgiveness is only a prayer away. When you go to ask the Lord, maybe there's something in your life you can't get a handle on. And it's eating you alive and it's destroying your family and it's destroying your walk with the Lord. Let me tell you something, until you nail it to the cross, it's going to continue to be there. But tonight what you can do is you can find your place at this altar and you can talk to the Lord. When you confess it, don't sugarcoat it. Call it what it is. Ask God to forgive you, to take it away from you. Maybe you've messed up and you feel like there's no way out. There is a way out. There is a way out. It's not forwards, backwards, left or right, but it's up and the Lord can help you with it. And so I hope that tonight, if God's done a work in your heart, that you'll respond to him.